Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Sister Angelita. I had a funny conversation with Brother Wilson a couple of weeks ago. Brother Wilson said when he was young, he was like, what on earth am I going to say for 45 minutes? He said now, he goes somewhere and preaches and goes, oh my Lord, it's been an hour and 15 minutes and I'm not close to being done yet. So I have every intention tonight of getting you out of here before midnight. And you can blame pastor because I had a week or so to prepare for this and then he put me off a week and miraculously my notes grew and Sister Ellen gave me some grief earlier. She said, you have 61 slides just for scripture. And so it grows. And uh, so I'll do my best if you'll do your best. All right. How many of you have ever heard the doctrine of one God? A few of you? How many of you, many of you have already heard this lesson? We made the decision to go back through and we're starting a curriculum the next three weeks. So system directors, system directors, I need your attention. You have people in your systems that are required to have this course that we gave to you. Let them be involved in ministry on the caveat that you ensure that they follow through. So look around, identify those people and make sure that they're following through so we can get that block checked off. But more so than that is many of you have already been through this, have have been through this lesson. And so I'm not going to just try to teach the lesson from the book, but I want to express to you uh, when I I say terms, some of you have heard the term, some of you are familiar, some of you may not be. How many of you know what monotheism is? A few of you, right? Monotheism, mono is one, theism is the belief or the study of the existence of God. Uh, Anybody ever heard the term duosatianism? Brother Trey, all right, a couple of you. Well, that's the belief in two gods. And then there's another popular belief called Trinitarianism, and that's the belief of three gods, three co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing. And so we're going to teach from a biblical perspective on God in Christ. Lesson number one is the oneness of God. And so if you don't know, and we're going to read together Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 5 and kind of uh, talk about some of this tonight. Many of you have been through this lesson, so I want to challenge you. You're like, Brother Roberts, I've heard this before. So here's the thing. We are spoiled, rotten brats as Pentecostals. We like something new all the time. But some, anybody ever have a favorite meal? Right? And so, I mean, I never, Brother Bruce, go, oh, man, steak again. Okay? Now, if it was Hamburger Helper, that's how the fight would start. But, um, you know, 
uh, what I'm going to talk to us tonight, tonight, about tonight is a foundational doctrine of our belief, and I hope that I can help you. And so many of you know what I'm talking about. You know the subject, you're intimate with it, but I'm going to make you a challenge. I'm going to challenge you to find something. And I, I, I really want to know. Remind me when I get done teaching. I want to challenge you people that know this doctrine inside and out to find something that I say tonight that you did not know. Because I promise you I've put some time and effort in to try to find some things that maybe you didn't know. Okay? All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. All right? And you can stay seated because we've got a lot of Scripture to read tonight. And many of those I will read very quickly so these are the commandments of the statutes and the judgments with the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go in to possess it. Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the children of Israel. He's giving them the premise of the law. Okay, verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. How many of you, your land flows with milk and honey? Mine does, and there's really no literal milk and honey, but I, it's doing pretty good, okay? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, right? Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thy soul and all thy might. And so when we look at verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is a key verse. It is an integral verse in the Bible. And so when we start talking about that, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so we start talking about this oneness or this idea of oneness. You can't talk about oneness without discussing the deity of Jesus Christ. And so when we speak of deity, we're talking uh, about uh, the divine nature and the divine character of God. And so what, what we're talking about tonight is one of the most, if not the most, important doctrine in the Bible, and that is that God is one. Tell your neighbor there's only one God. Now we know this. We understand this. The one true God has no beginning and no ending. And so in the Bible, Jesus describes himself as what? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Those are the first and the last letters in the, in the Greek alphabet. We would say he's everything from A to Z, right? Pastor would say he's all that in a bag of chips, right? And so that's kind of what, what we're saying here. And so what are you, we're talking about the, the God of heaven. He always was and he always will be. And so this was one of the first things that God commanded Israel to teach to their children. He said, he said, listen, you need to make sure that this is reiterated over and over and over and over and over and over again. This is so very important. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 puts such a strong emphasis on this teaching that it was literally the first lesson that was given to the children of Israel that would ensure God's blessings. That's one of your blanks in your outline there. If you don't have an outline, wave your hand. The ushers will get one to you. He said this in verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee. How many of you want it to be well with you? Okay? Because the opposite of it being well with you is it not being well with you. 
okay? And I don't want it to not be, I want it to be well with me. And so God said, listen, you need to understand this is such an important thing, right? How many of you believe you ought to teach your children certain things? I know it's a different generation. My, my mom said, you will say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. And she reiterated that in multiple fashions, ways, forms, and with lots of pain applied, Brother Jones, right? So some moms were different. I know moms today don't act like that, right? But this, so <laughs> another version says it this way, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey, then all will go well with you. And I want all to go well with me. And so you need to understand that's really important. So the emphasis was so strong that it became an integral part of Jewish tradition and Jewish culture. So this verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. How many of you know what that is? Anybody familiar with a couple of folks, right? And so it, it's probably one of, if not the most sacred Hebrew scripture. And so the observant Jews would literally take the scripture, the Shema, they would write it out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and they would, they would tie it to the forearm and to the forehead. Some commentators said they would do this to their children. It would be, the little child would run, be running around. He'd have a piece of, there wasn't a lot of paper in those days, a piece of parchment or whatever they could find to put it on, and it would be on their forehead or attached to their arm because they wanted them to understand how important and how integral this was. So it was, in their day, probably more important than wearing the sign of the cross or having a, a fish bumper sticker or one of those things that, that people do today, right? And so parents were commanded by God to teach this to their children. How many of you, you, you feel a certain way, you think a certain way, and you want your children to go that way? But we don't have a lot of commandments where we're commanded, you shall teach your children this way, right? You know, anybody? There's a lot of latitude. We don't have that. We don't have somebody telling us, you will teach your children to, have, to show respect. That's not, that's not mandated in our society, and it, it shows in a lot of ways, right? And so this, this idea, this Shema, was a central focus of their lives. Why? One, they had, they, God wanted them to understand that there's only one God who rules in every situation and over everything. But it was this particular idea of the oneness of God, the, the worship of one single God that distinguished Israel, that set Israel apart from all of her pagan neighbors. How many of you have read any history at all? You know, they, they worshiped the moon and the sun and the stars, and they worshiped the wind, and in Egypt they worshiped frogs. I just can't, I, I've read that so many times, and I mean, I just can't get past that, right? Worshiping frogs. Ribbit. Sorry. Just, I wish I had a frog. We'd get somebody to come bow down. No, come on. All right? It sounds stupid to us, Right? But in their, in their culture, in their society, all of their neighbors worshipped all kinds of different varied things, and we could go into great depth about what it was, but we've got to understand this was what set them apart, is they were worshipers of one God, the only God. And so you could imagine how that made the other people that lived around them feel when they said, we worship one God, and he is the true God and the only God, the creator of everything. You could imagine how these worshipers of many deities would think about that. Well, who do you think you are? You think your God's better than our God, right? Man, I like Fords, not Chevys, 
right? And so we, that's how we would kind of equate that. But we need to understand this, that God has always desired that his people to be different than the world around them. You need to understand that we are unique in our belief because our belief is not tied to really tradition or culture, but to the word of God. And there are a lot of people that, 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 that say they love God, that say they talk to God, that say they believe in God, but their belief in God is based on something else oftentimes. And so this, this first word, Shema, uh, S-H-E-M-A, uh, or it was, could be interpreted as hear, it literally means to understand, to pay attention, or to obey. Uh, to, or, or to obey. And so it's more than just a mental knowledge. Historically, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is probably the most popular portion and likely the best known of all Jewish liturgy. So the Jews, even modern day Jews, really understand this scripture. And so the Shema was made up of three different scriptural texts, and I'm not going to read these tonight for sake of time, but those of you that would like to study this out, you can. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 13 through 21, and Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. Now, that, those three passages, they, they made up what uh, even modern-day Jews referred to as the Shema. And so over time, this idea of here or Shema, it became uh, the ultimate Jewish confession of faith. And so it, it really was something that was very popular, and it, it, has, it has survived many, many, many generations. And so it was considered to be an affirmation of God's singularity. So we need to understand what it, what it, what it meant to them, the, the idea that they served the one true living God. So it was an affirmation of his singularity, and it was an affirmation of his kingship. You can imagine when someone tells you that you're wrong and they're right, how it makes you feel. You know, the conversation starts with, uh-uh, and, and the fight gets started like that. Nuh-uh, right? And somebody says, uh-uh. You know, you, my God, my dad's bigger than your dad. My God's better than your God. And so you could imagine the chaos and the fighting that it had. So, this, so even, even the, 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 the reciting of the Shema to modern-day uh, observant Jews, it, they, they consider that to be a very biblical commandment. And so I, I don't personally know a lot of Jewish people, but anyone who would probably attend the little synagogue next to the old church on Midway Drive, those folks that came regularly, they probably could quote because they were taught that as children. They could quote a lot of passages. And so there are there's some historical things behind the Shema as well. Uh, history says that it, it was recited at a very specific moment in time. They called it the climatic, climatic time, uh, the final prayer of Yom Kippur, one of the holiest days that the, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, would celebrate. And it was also recited over believers as the last words before death. In, in, the tradition says that, that they would literally, they would cover the eyes of the person that was passing from this life, and they would put their hands over, over their eyes, and they would recite the Shema, and they would recite different passages. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, and thou shalt serve him alone. And so this was such an integral part of who they were. And, and so, well, well, that's great, Brother Roberts. That's good Old Testament stuff. What about, what about the New Testament? Well, in the, book, in the book of Mark, one of the scribes in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, says one of the scribes came 
And having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, guess what it is? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, that singularity, that kingship. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. What does that mean, the first commandment? It wasn't the first commandment given. Matthew kind of helps explain that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 38, when the same scenario, Matthew words a little bit differently. They ask Jesus, what's the, what's the most important scripture? And he says that this is the first and the great commandment. And so he, what he's talking about, he said, listen, you need to understand, this is the most integral commandment because why? Because it follows from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we're going to talk about some of those things in just a second here. And so Jesus is telling the people that were talking to him that understanding who God is and loving him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength is, the first, is first the greatest and the most important commandment. Now, let me just kind of, before I get too deep into some of this, there are two, com two components of this great com commandment, right? The most important commandment. The first one is this, knowing who God is. And the second part is loving him with everything that's in you, right? And so the question I would ask us tonight, is it possible to love God and not know who he is? I think, I think we could make the argument that it is, and it is. I think it is possible to love God and not really know who he is. Why? Because you know what? Um, you know, we do this with people, right? Anybody ever had somebody surprise you? You thought you knew them and they did something crazy? And you're like, what? I don't even know who you are right now. Anybody? <laughs> Honey, I'm not telling on you. Uh, anybody ever been there in that moment, right? Any? Right? And you know, you thought you knew somebody, and all of a sudden they start acting in a manner or a way that you didn't expect them to. You've known them for years and years and years, and you're like, I don't even know who you are right now. And so, this is what we're talking about when we start saying that this is the first and great character. People have an ability to surprise us, they, be, they can act out of character. You know, I don't even know who you are, right? But when Jesus spoke of this, he said that there were people that were going to say to him in the last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do, didn't we do? And he's going to say, diddly do to you too. I didn't even know you. That's what Jesus said. He said, he said they're going to confess that I'm their Lord, but I'm going to confess back to them, I did not know you. And why? Because they, they didn't know who he was. And so it's possible to have this tremendous misconception of who God is and be completely sincere and be completely wrong. And it is important, right? Why? Because this is a foundational doctrine. I wanna, I'm trying to impress upon you how important this is, right? Because if you went to John chapter 4, verse 20, Read it from the New Living Translation. My, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that has so much in it, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And in verse 20, she says to him, our ancestors worshiped in this mountain. And I, you know, I like to put Jesus' voice in my mind and go, well, whoop-de-doo, right? That's how I read it, right? And, and verse 22, Jesus says to her, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. 
She begins to tell him, our, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews say you got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And Jesus said, you know what? She said, Jesus said, lady, you, you don't understand. You know very little about the God you're worshiping. He didn't cut her down. He didn't say you're not worshiping. He didn't say you didn't love God. He said you don't really understand who God is. Now, we understand because we got the 40,000-foot the view that she's standing at the well talking to God in the flesh. And she's like, you don't know, right? And, and, you know, she got her hands on her hips. You don't, see, you don't know what you're talking about to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let me tell you something, sweetheart, right? Uh, you know, I, I hope the holy finger come out and said, look, lady, okay? You know, but it's such a great foundational understanding because if you would turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, it is, it is the foundation upon which every other commandment is built. Here's what Jesus said. On these two commandments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love that, that same God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength and all of your spirit. He said, on, on these two commandments hang all the law in the prophets. Another translation says, the entire law... And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So how important is that? What Jesus is saying is that if you don't get this, you could miss it all. What are you talking about? I'm talking about there are people that have a confused idea of the identity of our God. And it's a doctrine that is propagated throughout our world, throughout Christianity. They don't really truly know who God is. But my point is this, is that how do you really know someone, right? How do you really worship God unless you really know who he is? Well, what are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to cut anybody down. There are people that pray more than I do, that read more than I do, that, that probably spend more time in study than I do, and they believe in three gods. And so, you know, it's important that we understand that there is a single true identity of our God that's been revealed to us. And so from the beginning, man has desired to know God's identity. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Moses was at the burning bush talking to the Lord. And Moses asked, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they say to me, What is his name? It's a fair question, right? And what shall I say unto them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, well, he said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Now I thought, okay, that's great. I wish I could take all of you back to 1984 when I first came in the church and Bishop got the revelation of the I am. I remember some of those sermons he preached about the I am, right? What, do you, what, what does that mean? What kind of an answer is that? He said, you just tell them that I am. He wasn't trying to explain to Moses... To, because he assumed that they would know who they are, who, who he was, right? And so I am is a common English translation that historians say that it can also be translated as I am who I am. It can be translated as I will become what I choose to become. Or it can be translated as I will be whatever I will be. And I will create whatever I will create. And the reason why they say it can be translated so many different ways is that the traditional rendering in the English, right, there's no present tense in the verb in the Hebrew language. And so it, can, it, it gives God the ability to be what, whatever God wants to be. 
And so when they said, what's his name? He's saying, listen, I'm going to be whatever you particularly need me to be at that time. Now we can look back and we're going to talk about some of these revelations of God in the Old Testament. And God was saying to them, he wasn't going to give them some glib answer. What's your name? It's, you know, it's it's none of your business, right? He wasn't trying to tell them that. He was trying to explain to them that I'm not just going to give you one point of focus. I want you to understand who I am through revelation. And so the Lord went on to describe himself as the God of Jacob and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And so here's a point, all right? It's God's desire that his people have an intimate relationship with him. How many of you, how many of you folks, how many are married? Married folks? Raise your hands, married folks. Now, how many of you be honest and tell me that you knew everything about the person that you married before you married him? I'm looking. I don't see no hands. How many of you be honest and say, I still don't know everything about the person I married? Now, look, don't, don't get mad and don't start no fights, okay? I, I, that's, not, that's not my purpose here, okay? But under, understanding this, right, God wants you to know who he is. And so understanding who God is is really an important part for us. How many of you know that the devil believes there's one God? Right? The Bible tells us that. John, James chapter 2, verse 19. Thou believest that there's one God. Thou doest well. The devil believes also and trembles. Now, so if you found out, let me ask you a question. If you found out that there was a false doctrine being propagated in your world, who would you blame for it? What? Hello? The devil, right? How many of you believe, right? He's the father of all lies, and he can't tell the truth because the truth ain't in him. How do you know the devil's lying? Because his lips are moving, right? And so we, we understand that, right? And so you need to understand that the devil understands this. If he can get you to believe something that is untrue about God, he can affect the way that you worship God. Hello? He does this all the time. Well, you know, he tells people you don't deserve the love of God. And that affects people's worship. Because people who feel loved by God worship different than people who don't feel like God loves them. Right? Come on. You had a bad week or a bad month or a bad year and you did a lot of bad things and you, you confess them to God and you don't feel good about it and you come in and you can't lift your hands. But you had a good week and you feel like God loves you and you're down front cutting some rug up. Why? Because that's human nature. You're down front dancing, having a good time, right? But you need to understand, if the devil can convince you one thing that is an error about Jesus Christ, about who God is, he can affect the way that you worship him. Now, how many of you would believe a lie about your spouse? Don't raise your hand. That's a trick question, and you will be in trouble, and it's not my fault because I didn't make your hand go up. Not going to go there, Right? Right? If somebody come up and told me, you know what your wife did? And I would be like, uh-uh, she did not. Why? Because I thought, uh, I thought I knew her better than that. You know? But sometimes you don't, right? And, and so the devil wants to come and tell you things about God that aren't true. And our human tendency is sometimes to go, really? Because all of you people didn't raise your hand aren't telling the truth. Some of you would believe it. I, I knew she had it in her. I knew he would. I knew he'd do it, right? I, I heard a story about a woman 
who stabbed her husband this week. I'm not, not kidding. Her husband. She saw a picture of her husband with another woman. Anybody hear this story? And she got a knife and stabbed the dude and tried to kill him, and only to find out it was a picture of her years before. How's that story going to be retold at Thanksgiving? That'll be good. Okay. You get my point. We can be deceived about who God is and what God is. So let me get into some more meat here. There can only be one. How many of you know that God is omnipresent? He's present everywhere at all times. It's impossible to divide everywhere. What does it mean when someone says, I feel, I feel the presence of God? It's not that God wasn't there before, but that what it means is there's a witness or an acknowledgement, right? The Bible says when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. But how does that happen? Does that mean God wasn't there? No. God is every, He's present everywhere at all times. But according to his word, when we gather together in agreement in his name, he's going to show up. He's already there. No, the, the difference isn't that God shows up. The difference is when we begin to feel his spirit, there's a witness. Hello? How about this one? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. One, one of the great preachers in our movement, Jeff Arnold, says it's impossible to divide all power. If you've got all power and you give me some, you don't have it all. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's not like, it's not like hard math, right? This one God, his infinite nature demands that there's only one God. And so there's many names, but there's only one God. And so over time, God has been called by many names, but there are not many gods. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you would find him re re uh, revealed as, well, the, the, the terms are used in the English language of God. They're, they're translated as El and Elohim and Jehovah. But those names... They, 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 blah, 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 blah. I'm going to lubricate my stutter. I apologize. I got so many notes, I'm trying to hurry. But the, the names of God reveal to us the characteristics or the features and his attributes or his traits and his abilities. How do you identify a person? Well, he's tall or she's heavy. Probably a bad character trait, right? Okay. But we, we talk about we have different ways. So we, we identify people by features and by their attributes, their characteristics, or their abilities. Well, you know, the good ball player or the bad ball player or that guy can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And so what are you talking about? I'm talking about every one of these names that we see in the Old Testament is a revelation that's a little bit of insight in who and what God is. And so we're going to look at some of these names in just a minute, but each of the names of God in the Old Testament were revelations or clues to his specific nature. And so each one was a direct revelation to the people of God showing his character, and they were pictures of his nature, but they all belong to the one single God. Now, how many of you have ever went to, went to McDonald's and went through the drive-thru, McDonald's, right? Yuck. And they ask you, do you want fries with that? What do you call that, right? You call that a combo meal? Anybody, ever, anybody in this place ever had a combo meal? Some of y'all are not telling the truth, right? Okay, right? You know you wanted fries with that, and I hope they were cold when you got them. But in the Old Testament, 
the divine name Jehovah was always added with an, an attribute to include something. How many of you ever heard the term Jehovah Jireh? What? It's in your notes right there. The Lord will provide. When Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, when Abraham was told to sacrifice, there was a revelation of a characteristic or a character trait of God that was revealed. And he called, he, he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Why? Because God had provided a sacrifice. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 26, he reveals the name Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. The, the children of Israel had just come across the Red Sea, and they're three days' journey into the wilderness, and they come to Marah. They come to the place of bitter waters, and God tells Moses, go get that tree and put it in there, and God healed the waters. And so, can you see this progressive revelation? He's God, right? Now he's Jehovah, right? Now he's the provider. Now he's the God who heals. And so this is why God told Moses, I am. Do you tell him that I am that I am? Why? Because he didn't want to confine himself and put himself in some category with some name. But he knew that he was going to progressively reveal to them himself through characteristics, through traits, and through abilities, right? Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner, right? Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, at the battle of the Amalekites, Joshua is down in the, in the valley fighting, and Aaron and Hur are holding up the hands of Moses. And every time the hands went up, they prevailed. Every time the hands went down, they were losing ground, right? And so this is a revelation that God is our rallying point. God is our banner. God is our victory. Uh, I think one of my favorites is the next one, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. In Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord calls the people to a place of consecration and holiness. And it's in this place where God reveals himself as the Lord who sanctifies, sanctifies, cleanses, sets apart all of the different attributes. That's an attribute, a characteristic of God. And so how many of you, our humanity thinks that we got to do it ourselves. We got to, well, we got to sanctify ourselves. People will say this all the time. You know, when I get it all together, I'm going to come to God. No, that's not how it works. If you knew that he was the God of sanctification, you would understand that you come to God as you are, and he will bring, put you in the process and sanctify you. He'll clean your life up if you give him a chance, right? And so he was revealing himself as the one singular God. He wasn't this God and that God. He wasn't the multiplicity of gods. How about Jehovah Shalom? The Lord, our peace. Now, a lot of people, they read Judges and they look at Gideon, but God gave Gideon the peace before he ever got in the battle. There's a lesson for today. How about that, right? And, and so, Jehovah Sidkenu, the, uh, the next one on your list there, the Lord, our righteousness. We think that we've got to be right, but the, according to the Scripture, that we are, we are made righteous by our faith in God. And so it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. Anybody ever heard of Jehovah-Rahi, the Lord our shepherd, Psalms 23? David said, right, he called him the shepherd. He revealed himself as the one who would lead through troubled times, through difficult circumstances. And so I went very quickly through those, but what we need to understand is that all throughout history, all throughout the history of Israel, the Lord would reveal himself. He would reveal an ability or a character trait or whatever they needed exactly when they needed it. Aren't you glad that's how God is? I, I think I've told this story so many times now. Some of you probably know it as good as I do. I remember being a young man, and, and, I, and I asked God questions. And uh, 
uh, I, Sister Hicks knows this person, a pastor my wife and I sat under in Maine back in 1980-something. Uh, we were living up there, and I was very young in the Lord, and, and I, I remember going to church, and I said, you know, I, I remember spending some time in prayer, and I said, God, I had a question about this, and I asked, the God, uh, I asked God a sincere question. And, and that, that, that Wednesday night, I went to church, and the pastor got up and taught a one-hour lesson on the question that I asked. And I was like, it's pretty cool, right? And so the next week I went to prayer and said, God, I got a question. I was very new in the Lord. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that next Wednesday night, the, the pastor taught a lesson on that question. I thought, okay, this is too cool, right? This is too cool for school. I mean, it was really great. And I thought it was pretty cool. So the third week I asked God a question. And I went to church that Wednesday night and the pastor taught on something else. <laughs> but almost six months later, I was in a, a meeting they had up in, in Maine, and there were several hundred people. It was a big crowd, and there was a, a, a preacher that I had never met, still haven't ever met him, and during the preaching, he stopped and pointed to me and said to me, God said, and gave me the answer to the question that I, right, and went back to preaching, and it was the craziest thing, I, right? Listen, what I'm trying to explain to you is that I'm no better than you, but if you've got a real question, God wants to reveal himself to you. That, listen, God wants to reveal himself to you, but if you ask God, and so this is so important that God said you need to put it on their, on their forums, and you need to put it upon, it's got to be, they would recite it at morning, noon, and night. It would go over and over. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Him only, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Him only shall thy serve. Why? Because everybody, all the neighbors around them believed in this multiplicity of gods, and God said this is a distinguishing mark for my people to set them apart. And, and we need to understand that anything that goes away from Scripture is a work of the devil who wants to put some little bit, a little bit of poison in your water so you can drink one. How many of you drink one drop of poison and put it in a glass of water? I still don't see hands. Y'all are horrible with hands tonight. Okay? But no one would, right? And so we understand this. And so there's a great revelation. We realize that every, you know, in, in your life, God wants to reveal himself in so many different ways. But if you don't know who he is, when you have a need, you could mistake something that God is doing in your life, right? And end up in a bad place. All right, number four, the greatest name of God is Jesus, right? Every attribute revealed to the people of God in the Old Testament is contained in the name Jesus. The name Jesus is derived from a Hebrew name, Yeshua or Yahshua, which means uh, it's, it comes from a Semitic root, and it means to deliver or to rescue. Commentators render the name Jesus as this, pretty cool, Jehovah has become our salvation. And so all of those attributes, the healer, right, the deliverer, the banner, right, all of the different things, the provider, everything that was put into the name that was revealed through the Old Testament, all of those are incorporated in Jesus with the addition of Savior, right? And so that's what's so cool about this. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossians in Colossians 1 and 15 about Jesus. He said he is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so what we need to understand is that Jesus is the expressed image of the, of the, uh, of the invisible God. And so, you know, the, 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 new, the New Living Trans Translation says it this way, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Philip asked Jesus in John chapter 14, he said, he said Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, what's wrong with you, Phil? What? what? 
Phil, come on, dude. What's wrong with you? He said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And so everything that God is dwells or dwelt in the person or in the body of Jesus Christ. Here's what Colossians 2 and 9 says. For in him dwelleth, that, that word dwelleth means tabernacled or lives in the, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so we conclude that Jesus is the full or the complete revelation of God to man. Right? And so when we call on the name of Jesus, we are invoking the fullness, every revealed attribute of God when we call upon the name of Jesus. Every character trait ever revealed is contained in the singular name of Jesus. How do you know that? Why? Because Acts 4 and 12, what does it say? There, what? It says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven that is given among men whereby we must be saved, right? The New Living Translation says there's, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven. And so they call us apostolics, the people of the name and all of that kind of stuff. And they will even sometimes back in the day, they will make fun of us. Now, I will tell you this. I will tell you plainly that when I came in the church in the early 80s, everybody wanted to fight about the oneness. It was a big fight in Christendom, whether you believed in, Trinity, in the Trinity or in oneness. And, and everybody wanted to fight about it, right? And, and now people just don't care. They don't, they don't understand. But what, what, what's really important, why is it still important, even though people don't want to fight about it anymore, is that you understand who God is. Because if you have a false revelation, it will affect the way you worship. It's just like we talked about. You come in, you've had a great week, and you're going to worship. You had a bad week, you're not going to worship. And if you have a false revelation of who God is and what he can do and be in your life, it will affect the way that you worship him. All right? All right? Colossians 3 and 17. Many of you can quote it. What, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Right? So the Bible says this about God. The preacher talked about this on Sunday. God has always been alone. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God. Right? We understand that. Psalms 86 and 10. Thou art God alone, the psalmist declared, right? John said this in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was, was with God, and the Word was God. What we're saying is he existed before anything was ever created. He created everything by himself. Anybody ever felt like you were alone? Come on, be honest, right? You're out there doing something, eh? you're at work, and you're working hard, and somebody else is goofing off. Man, I got to do all this by myself. I mean, I'm just, you, anybody, you grumpy? Be honest. Come on, lift both hands in your foot. You were grumpy. You know you were grumpy. I don't know why I got to do everything, and they sit over and do nothing. I, none of y'all are lying. We need an altar pastor. There's some people in here that tell the truth. Listen, you need to understand, God does not need your help. Right? No, Isaiah 44, 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the, room, from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Right? John 1 and 3. And all things were made by him, and without him was, was not anything made that was made. John was talking about the Word, right? Now, he made all things. He made it all, right? All right. We need to understand this, that he did it by himself, right? Uh, there is no God beside or equal to him. How many of you know that, right? You ever had anybody beside you? 
There's nobody beside me right now. Who was it? I think I'm picking on uh, Brother, Brother Jeremy. Anybody know Brother Barr? When, when, when Jeremy was little, Jeremy had um, a friend that nobody could see. When he, when he, when he was a kid. I, 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 and y'all need to, if he's watching, Brother Jeremy, I'm telling on you because I can. But I, I'm telling y'all, he had, a, he had a friend, and I can't, I, if you said the name, I'd remember it. Sister Jody probably remembers it. But I remember Brother Barr said they had to set a place at the table for this imaginary friend because Jeremy was never alone, right? You, you understand that, right? But listen, God, right? God said, I, there's no other God beside me or equal to him. He was very clear in Scripture. Isaiah wrote it this way in Isaiah 44 and 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44 and 8, is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6, I am the Lord. There's none else. There's no God beside me. There's none beside me. I am the Lord. There's no, I'm getting the idea there's nobody next to God. Isaiah 45, 21, there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. My goodness, I don't know what, you know, Right? I think there's a pattern I'm seeing in Scripture. There's nobody beside God. And so when you understand that, we, we have to get that revelation of who God is. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, you know this. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. God is very clear. There's no other God than Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is our only Savior. Right? I know the world wants to tell you they're going to do it through politics or whatever, but the only Savior is God. 2 Samuel 22 and 3, the God of my rock, my Savior, thou savest me, right? Isaiah wrote, I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. Hosea wrote it this in Hosea 13 and 4, yet I am the Lord thy God, there is no Savior beside me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel tells Mary, she shall, or tells Joseph, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Anybody find something? I, I challenge you to find something in here in this lesson that you've heard so many times that you've never heard before. How about this one? There will be no God after him. There's no God before him. There's no God beside him. Now there's no God after him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. How many of you understand that the world is held together by God? Amen. Don't listen to what the world tells you. Don't listen to what scientists tell you. The Word of God spoke this stuff into existence, and I believe if the Word of God spoke it into existence, the Word of God is holding it all together, right? Paul said it this way in Acts 17 and 28, in him we live and move and have our being. There's no one else like him. All right, God encompasses all things. He's on both sides of time. Why? Because he's eternal. He's not, he's not held back by time. Why? There's no God like him. He was here before all things, and he's going to be here after all things. Right? That's, what, that's who God is. Isaiah 44 and 6. I'm the first, and I'm the last. Well, you know, anybody, some of you people are that way, right? You always want to be last in line. There's a few people who want to be first in line, but there's some real pious people that want to be last in line. Well, I'm just waiting. I'm going to get in the last of line. Then when you get up there, right, there's nothing left to eat, and you're all mad, right? 
Listen, you can't get behind the line with God. He's last. He's the first and he's the last. Understand that. Revelation 1 and 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen. When you get to heaven, there will only be one God in heaven. How many of you are ready to go? All right. Okay. You heard him, Lord. I didn't say yes. <laughs> Pastor, go be a little empty on Sunday. I'm just saying. <laughs> Revelation 4 and 2. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne, right? Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. When you get to heaven, there's only going to be one throne, not a lot of thrones, right? There's only going to be one king sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. So what would you say is a definition of oneness? What is a true definition of oneness, right? The definition of, of the doctrine of oneness can be stated in two specific affirmations, and that is that God is absolutely and indivisibly one with no distinction of persons. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? Now, what, we understand what the Bible says. There is, there is no, there's no distinction, or we're going to talk about just a little bit about this. And the second part of that affirmation is that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, is all the fullness of the Godhead incarnate. And so when we start talking about someone being incarnate, that's God or manifested in the flesh. And so every title of the deity, such as God, Jehovah, Lord, Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, they're all referring, when you read them in the Bible, they're all referring to the one same singular God. Every, every name, every title, all of the manifestations, every role and relationship to humanity, they're all talking about one single God. Now, the old-timers referred to the oneness of God as a revelation. And I, I, you know, I thought about that for many, many years. Why would it have to be a revelation if it's so plain in the Word? Why? Because what if, if, the, if, the, if the gospel is hid, right? Remember that scripture, right? If it's, if it's hid, right? right? The God of this world has hid, right? He's, he's trying to hide the doctrine from people. Why? Because he doesn't want you to know every ability of God. He doesn't want you to know that God's a healer. He doesn't want you to understand that God's a provider, right? He, he's okay if you know that God can, but he doesn't want you to know him in the fashion that you know he can and he will. And so that's why the devil wants to hide every doctrine of truth, and he gets men to propagate his false doctrines all over the world. Now, I told you about three doctrines we started, that duosatianism, that, that, that doctrine of two, two, of two gods. It teaches a false doctrine that God is a big God and Jesus is a, a sub-God or a demigod. It's not, it's not true according to Scripture, right? And then the Trinity teaches, right, that the word Trinity is not found anywhere in Scripture. It's not in the book. 
It's, it's a false doctrine that was, a, that was adopted by humanity around 300 A.D. by the council, the Nicene Council in Rome. You can go back and research that. And it, it tells you that there are three co-equal, right, co-existent gods, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it's a false doctrine that is not true according to the Word of God. Here, O Israel, there is one God, right? There's one Lord, right? And we need to understand that. Why, Why does the devil want you to believe in three? Why? Because he wants to add in confusion. Most people don't know the difference. Most people couldn't tell you the difference. And most people who say they believe in the Trinity have no idea what they believe. I've even heard, I even heard a Trinitarian preacher one time when I was young, many years ago, got on the radio one night, I'm driving somewhere, and back when preachers were on the radio. Now we're on the internet, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Back when preachers were on the radio, and he tried to explain the, why the Trinity was true and why the, the doctrine of oneness was wrong. And when he got done, I was more convinced of oneness than I'd ever been. Why? Because there is a, a manipulation and a twisting. Why? Because he has an agenda to create in your mind some, some confusion, some doubt, a misunderstanding. And so that's why old-time Pentecostals said, this is, a, this is a revelation. Why? You have to get it. Why? You have to understand it. You have to search for it. But it, I promise you this. If you ask God, reveal yourself and your truth to me, he will do it. I promise you. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? The devil wants to make you like the Samaritan woman. He wants to make you a worshiper who knows very little, listen to me, about the God you worship. He's okay if you come to church and clap your hands and shout and dance, and, but he does not want you to really know who God is, right? And so the Bible reveals God as the Father in creation. All right? And we need to understand that. That's one God who's the Father of all, right? And so this title this title, right, of the Father in creation, it, when, we, when we read that, we need to understand that he is the creator of all things. Now, I don't care what, what your science teacher taught you. I don't care what they say. I remember I was in the fifth grade, and I, I, I was not a, a, a godly person, didn't go to church, wasn't, uh, but I, I remember I thought I was the smart kid in the class, and they were talking about the separation between the, the centuries, right, the time of A.D. and B.C. and all this kind of stuff, and I said, oh, wasn't that about the time of Jesus' birth? Wasn't that a separation? And I remember that fifth grade teacher humiliating me. No, that's completely wrong. And she gave me some sign. She yelled at me and pointed her finger at me and humiliated me. Why? But she was so wrong. Wait a minute. Listen, you need to understand when Jesus Christ, when God robed him himself in, in flesh, it changed the world that we live in. It changed time. It changed how God re reacted to man and how man could react to God. And it is the separation. And I don't care what science tells you. There's only one God. and He created everything. And the devil does not want you to know that. He doesn't want you to understand. He wants you to believe there's all these different gods and you've got to pray to this one and that one and create all this confusion. But when you lift your hands and say the name of Jesus, you're invoking every attribute and character trait and the power and the authority and the anointing of an almighty God. That's why it's so important. We read those, right? He's the Father in creation. He's the Son in redemption. Those are not separate gods, but they're offices. They're, they're places that God, how he deals with us, right? And so we need to understand that. When, he, when, when the Bible talks about, talks about this, he's the Holy Ghost in regeneration. 
I love to explain this to people because sometimes we just don't get it. The Bible says that we were dead in trespass and sin. What does that mean? It means we were all born dead spiritually. That, what, are you, what are you talking about? Well, I don't feel like I was dead. No, no, because the, the word dead in Scripture doesn't always mean what we think of when someone's dead. There's no life. But what it could simply mean is desensitized. And we were born and our natural spirit that was not able to feel God, was not able to sense God. But when you, when you were born again of the Spirit, that, that Holy Ghost began to regenerate or make alive the Spirit that God placed in you, right? In, when you were born, right, it began to make that alive. That's called regeneration. It's not a separate God. It's a separate work of God, Right? I'm the same person, but I'm the, I'm, I'm the husband to Patrice, but I'm not her father. I'm the father to Jeffrey and Rachel, right? And what do you, how can you be so many different things and be the same one? That's how God is. And so our, 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 our church world is inundated with all these false ideas about who God is and what God is. He is one God who's the father in creation. He's the son in redemption. You know, I... I I just, I, I, I marvel at some things. Somebody said Scripture doesn't have to make sense, and they're right. Scripture does not have to make sense. But in my, in my really poor thinking, it does not make sense to me that a gracious, mighty, all-powerful God would create an only begotten Son and, and say something so stupid like, you know what? I've created this humanity, and they're so messed up somebody's going to have to go die for him. So, son, why don't you go do it? Now, I'm a dad. That's not what any dad would ever say to any son. That dad would choose to go die for humanity himself because they're his creation and he loves his son and his creation. I get that, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't, I can't put two and two together and come up with 16. It doesn't work for me. But that's what they want you to believe, that God said to his only begotten son. And the Scripture says that, but it's, it's taken out of context. Right? He cre- Listen, that God in heaven, that Father who was the creator, he robed himself in flesh and become the sacrifice that is threaded all throughout the Old Testament to save us. And when, when, when the blood of Christ that bought, that bought and paid for our sins was not enough, he said, you know what, I got one more thing I need to do. And so he, Jesus said, I, I can't stay here, I got to go. Why? Because there has to be a different manifestation of God. There has to be a different representation of God that's going to do more than just pay for sins. It's going to resurrect your dead spirit. Am am I making some sense here? I'm I'm trying to help you. We believe what, listen, you got to understand, the devil just walks up to your glass and goes a little dropper of a lie, deceit, confusion, disturbance, disruption, and if you could see it, you wouldn't drink it. And our world is feeding us all kinds of false doctrines and false hopes and erroneous things. But the Bible is very clear. There is only one God. And he's given us a revelation of a name that is greater than any other name. And when we say that name, they, 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 they call us apostolics Jesus only. No, 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 we're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. Why? Because the Bible says whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all. Why? Because I don't want to. I don't want to have to search for. Do I need what I need? Is it Rothe? Is it Imkadesh? No, 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 no. It's Sidkenu. No, no. 
No, I'm not doing that. No, no. He's given us a name that's above every other name. And when I call upon, listen, come on. You need to understand who you are and what you know. I know some of these religions, they, they, they get out their little trinkets and they want to pray to, to Mary and they want to pray to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Listen, no, 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 I'm calling on the name of Jesus. That's where oneness theology takes us. And so the term Father refers to God in the family relationship to humanity. And the term Son refers to God in the flesh. And the term spirit refers to God in his, in his activity, his holy activity, right? And so those are specific roles that God plays in our lives. And we, we need to understand that. He is God in the flesh. How many of you, I challenge you, I said, listen, you've heard this lesson a hundred times. You've heard it 30 times, 40 times. Some of you many times. And, you know, you're like, oh, no, not steak again. I, I just can't stand steak. I'd rather have bologna. But we're spoiled. We are spoiled apostolics, and we, we want something new every time we come, right? All right? Understand what I'm saying. How many of you learned something different tonight about the oneness that, come on, show somebody. Listen, why? Because God wants to reveal who he is to his people. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Pastor's going to come. Let's give the Lord some praise. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going away.